the church. It's great to have you here. And it's great to welcome everybody online that's watching uh, or listening with us on delay, however you found yourself here. Welcome. If we've never met, my name's James. I'm glad that you are here. Are you happy you're here? Good. I am happy that you're here, too. Uh, Two things before I preach. They were on the news, but I just want to reiterate it. Is uh, Firstly, we've got a testimony booth outside that is going to be a part of our Easter uh, next Sunday that we're going to do. It's going to be amazing. Good Friday here in the room. It's going to be great. Uh, There it is. There's a testimony booth. You can go in there and basically just share a testimony that starts with, thank you, Jesus, for. And how many of y'all have something that you're thankful for Jesus for? I I am. And so that's it. You just thank you, Jesus. And we're going to be kind of implementing that in what we do next week. It's going to be great. Speaking of next Sunday as well, we are having baptism. So if you've never been baptized before as your own adult decision, some people have been baptized maybe in Catholic church as a baby. Uh, We believe that water baptism is the next uh, biblical step in your relationship with Jesus, and it should be made uh, from a place of maturity where you understand what you're doing, you know, thus uh, a baby baptism, maybe you weren't aware of what was going on at the time. So if you've never been baptized before, please sign up for it. We do it up the back. We dunk it. We worship. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful time. Uh, and so you can sign up for that. Good. Are you, are you ready to preach? Well, you shouldn't be ready to preach. I'm going to preach. Are you ready uh, to receive? Receive. Receive. Well, today we're continuing on. Uh, our prayer series. How many of y'all have enjoyed our series? Oh, my watch just broke. That's good. Um, how many of y'all have enjoyed uh, the, the prayer series we've been doing, Living on a Prayer? The first week I preached about the idea that it is my responsibility to pray. Even though we've got a wonderful prayer team full of amazing people that love to pray, uh, I don't leave uh, prayer just up to somebody else I have a responsibility in my daily walk with Jesus to pray. Uh, The next week, Kate uh, spoke a wonderful message on, maybe it's not easy to pray all the time, and how do I pray a little bit uh, more? Come on, how many of y'all were helped by that one? I I know I was. Uh, I loved coming to church and not uh, not feeling judged and not feeling pressured to be uh, a a four-hour-a-day prayer person. Come on, anybody else happy that it's okay to not pray four hours a day? Come on, anybody else happy? I'm okay with that, too. Uh, The week after that, I preached uh, about the power of corporate prayer, that even though it was my responsibility to have my own prayer life with Jesus, because I am a part of a community— Because I'm a part of the church, the gathering together of God's people, I have a responsibility to pray, pray in partners, pray for people, pray together in church. And you know what I love is over the three weeks at the end of every service, we we gave an opportunity for people to pray. And it was great. Some people were praying for the very first time. That Sunday, some people prayed for uh, someone else for the very first time time. And I think that's amazing. People felt uncomfortable. It's amazing. I love it. Because if you can't pray inside here, you're never going to be able to pray for anybody outside of here. And so we wanted to give that opportunity. Last week, Pastor Dustin preached, and he preached a great word that had nothing to do with prayer. So this week, we're back on track. And this week is a fun week because I'm preaching on a topic that I love. I'm preaching on something that I love to do. But
misconception about it. There's a lot of people that have false ideas about it. But if you can get the power and the truth of it, it can change your spiritual walk with God. Today, the title of my message is, what is it today? Speaking in tongues. Sha-la-la-la-la-la-la. So I'm going to make a few jokes because some people feel uncomfortable, and I like jokes because it makes people feel more comfortable. Is that okay? Come on, just look at your neighbor and say, you have a wonderful tongue. See, even that, it just lightens you up a little bit. Totally inappropriate, but that's okay. This can be quite a divisive topic. This is a topic that has split denominations. People are passionate for it, and people are passionate against it. There's generally four different groups of people that are listening to this today. The first is the people that I'm so excited. Yes, finally. I'm ready. Let's go. Do we do it now? Can we, can we do it now? Can we now? Right? There, there's those people. I love you. Hold on. We're going to get there. The second group of people is the people that I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. I read it. I see it in the scriptures. I, I know it's there. I'm not opposed to it. You know, I may not do it, but I'm not opposed to it. I'm neither here nor there on it, right? The third group of people in this place, uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And that's okay, because today you're going to learn. And then the fourth group of people generally are the people that are, you are horrified right now. You're angry you came to church on this day because you hate tongues. You think it's terrible. You think it's demonic. You just think, I don't, why am I here today? Can I quickly stand up and slip out of church without anyone noticing? So that's generally the four groups of people. So whichever group you're in, can you just raise your hand? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) Here's the thing. When it comes to our church, we try and be very, very upfront with, with kind of everything that we believe in our church because the last thing we want to do is catfish anybody. If you don't know that terminology, it means putting on sort of a fake facade up front until you've wooed someone into your community and then, bam, this is what we believe. So the last thing I want is for people to come into church and, you know, our, our church is full of wonderful people. It's so easy to make friends in our church. The last thing I want you to do is come in, love the community, love the friendship, love being a part of it, and then in a couple of years, we take you into a secret back room and go, by the way, we speak in a crazy other language, right? So we don't want to do that. We want to be upfront. We want to be really upfront about what we believe, what we do. And uh, because we don't want you to, to feel like, oh, I wish they had told me this before I gotten involved. So we just really want to be upfront. But the main thing you got to understand with everything that I'm going to say is this. This is what you got to understand today. This is the main thing. If you get nothing else, just get this today. What I'm about to teach you is not a salvation issue. Listen to me. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This has nothing to do with you accepting Jesus Christ by faith in his grace that he has given. It has nothing to do with that at all. My faith in Jesus is based on the scripture of God and the story of the resurrection. It's actually not based on my experience. Listen to me, because some of y'all, I'm going to be teaching a lot today, uh, so you got to get it here, right? Even at the beginning. My, My faith in Jesus is actually not based on my experience. It's based on the scripture of God. My faith is based on the story of the resurrection, but my experience confirms 
my faith. I don't base my faith just on my experiences. I base my faith, I base what I, are we okay? I base what I believe on the word of God, and my experience will confirm it, but it's not based on it. Why is that such a a key thing uh, to have? Because sometimes we can encounter some weird people, and we can have weird experiences, just like maybe you've encountered a weird person that has given a weird prophecy. I don't base my belief of prophecy on one weird person. I base it on the word of God and what God says in his word about prophecy. And yeah, there might be some weirdos that use God. God's name in vain and in a way that God's in heaven going, no, don't use my name for that. But I don't base my theology of prophecy on some random people. I base it on the word of God. Why are there Christians that don't believe in speaking in tongues? You know why I think one of the things is? Because we've allowed negative experiences to frame the way we read Scripture. Because if you read Scripture, you see it, that tongues is in the Bible. But sometimes you're like, yeah, I I read it, but, you know, this person I was with, they were faking it. And and these people, when they prayed for me, they pushed me over when it happened. Or maybe you were raised in a church where they preached against it. I know many people raised in church where they actually preached that speaking in tongues was demonic that a demon would come on you and begin to take over your body, right? And, and, and begin to speak in tongues, right? Some other people will teach that speaking in tongues, yes, it was in the Bible, but when the Bible ended, the time of the Bible ended, so did all the miracles, so did all those gifts, and so did things like speaking in tongues. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown, I love what he says. He says that if you locked yourself in a room for 10 years and just had the Bible, you would come out expecting Christians to be speaking in tongues. If all you had was the Bible, not anybody else's opinion, if all you had was the Bible in a room for 10 years, you'd walk out believing that everybody was speaking in tongues. Signs and wonders were going on everywhere. If you read the scriptures, it's plain and simple. And, you know, sometimes I think it's really funny because we have people in church that they believe certain things, but they don't believe other things. And they think those other things are weird, like speaking in tongues. Well, that's, that's just weird. That's just weird. I don't understand how you can think speaking in tongues is weird, and yet you're okay with a giant flood that flooded the whole earth and killed the entire human race except one man and his family. But speaking in tongues is a little bit too much. Or maybe, I don't know about speaking in tongues, but I'm cool with a 10-foot man who had six fingers and six toes who stood up and yelled against the whole nation. Or here's the best one yet. Oh, I don't know about speaking in tongues, but I'm okay with a man that said he was God that died and then rose again three days later. Could I tell you, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that's kind of a bigger stretch than believing in speaking in a God-given language. If you believe in the flood, it's, it's pretty easy for us to believe in speaking in tongues. It's not weird. It's something beautiful. It's supernatural, and it's designed by God. 
And we don't want to compromise what we believe just because maybe other churches think it's weird or some people think it's weird. Our standard is not our feelings. Our standard is the word of God. So today I want us to take a deeper look. I really want to teach on this. And then at the end of the service, we're going to give everybody an opportunity to be filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. We're going to have goats out the front. We're going to kill goats, splash blood everywhere. All We're not going to do that. It's okay. Are you okay? <laughs> Here, let's go. Let's look at what the Bible says. Firstly, it's this. Jesus foretold that it would happen. Mark chapter 16, verse 17, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Ready? So Jesus said, if you believe in him, this is what's going to happen. They will cast out demons in his name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They'll pick up servants with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus said to all who believe, not just the apostles or the people in the Bible, people in the early church, but to all who believe, these signs will accompany. It kills me when I hear people preach that speaking in tongues is not for everyone. It shows me a lack of scriptural knowledge, and it gives people an excuse to not hunger and search and chase after God and pursue this gift that God so freely wants to give people. Jesus also told them to wait which leads me to point number two, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, verse four, it says, and while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So what was the point of this Holy Spirit baptism? Well, Jesus tells us four verses later, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a different event to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When you come before Jesus, which I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to do at the end of this service, when you come before Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, you acknowledge the truth that he is the resurrected son of God. Then Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, will come and begin to live inside of you. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But we can see through scriptures, and I'm going to show you, that there is a separate event that occurs when the Holy Spirit, not just indwelling inside of you, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon someone. It's one thing to drink water and have water in you. It's another thing to jump in a pool. One, the water is inside of you. The other one, the water is on you. At salvation, we receive him. And at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we release him. Which leads me to my third point, which is this. The evidence of this baptism. In the book of Acts, there's five accounts that have been given of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Three out of those five accounts clearly showed us that speaking in tongues occurred upon being baptized in the Spirit. The first occurrence, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost is there. You could read it. Acts chapter 10, Peter is with Cornelius' household. It's Jewish believers seeing these Gentiles speaking in tongues, and they were amazed. In Acts chapter 19, Paul in Ephesus, he laid hands 
and they spoke in tongues. The two other events where speaking, where the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred, it's, it's kind of inferred that people were speaking in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, right? So he's a sorcerer, and he was doing some legit crazy stuff with the help of Satan. And he saw Peter and John laying hands on people and baptizing them in the Holy Spirit. And whatever he saw, whatever demonstration happened in that moment when they were laying hands, Simon the sorcerer saw the power that was in it, that he offered money to purchase this power. So it's kind of inferred that there must have been something that happened in that moment for a sorcerer to look at what somebody else was doing and go, I want to offer you money for whatever you just did, because obviously there's something that has just happened when you laid hands and prayed, so I'm going to offer you money for that. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was prayed for by Ananias, and he was filled. There's no mention of him speaking in tongues, but in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 18, that's what Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. It's not a leap to conclude that Paul would have probably spoken in tongues at this time. So here's a, here's a question you got to ask. Is speaking in tongues the only evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The answer is no, it's not. Jesus said that we would receive power to be witnesses. Acts chapter 4 verse 31 says that they spoke the word of God boldly. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 shows us that the apostles performed many signs and many wonders among the people. In Acts chapter 16 verse 10, the apostles received guidance from the Spirit. In Acts chapter 10 verse 46, it shows us that they would overflow with praises for God when filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, uh, it shows us that dreams, visions, and prophecies were also indicators of being baptized. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the nine spiritual gifts that are given to people in the church as a result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a lot of biblical evidence for this. You know, I found that people that argue so passionately against having to speak in tongues as an evidence of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, they don't seem to show much evidence of anything else as well, of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And this goes the other way. Can we, can we go to the other extreme? The other extreme is this. Do not make speaking in tongues the sole focus of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's not the sole focus. It's an evidence, and it's a powerful way that we can pray, but it is not the sole focus. Do you know what the, what, the, what the main purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? It's so that we could be filled with power to go out and share Jesus with people. It's not so you can sit in a room in a corner and go, sha ka 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 It's wonderful. It's beautiful, but that's not the main purpose of it. Of all the things that God could have given the disciples on the day of Pentecost, don't you think he would have given something that would benefit them? And the gift that Jesus told them to wait for, the Holy Spirit, it was confirmed in the evidence of speaking in tongues. And God, of course, gave them something that would be incredibly beneficial in their lives. So what is speaking in tongues and why should I want to do it? Do you know that in the Bible, 
there is four different types of speaking in tongues. Two of these types are for public use and only for some people. And two of these types are for private use and they are available for everyone. Are you ready to learn? You, is everyone okay so far? I told you I was going to do a bit of teaching today. You know why? Because I don't want this just to turn into some babbling crazy, and people start shaking and start going around, but they don't understand the theology and the teaching of the word. You got to understand it. First is this, right? First, why should we speak in tongues? Well, the first public gift is this, is that it's a sign for unbelievers. So Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, and everyone was present. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. That's interesting. The Holy Spirit gave the ability. And at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud voice, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native language. This was the tongues that occurred on the day of Pentecost, and they all spilled out from the upper room, and they all began to speak in languages that they didn't know how to speak in, but people around them that had traveled back to Jerusalem at that time, heard all these languages, these native languages from where they were from being spoken and the people sharing the praises of God and exclaiming how good God was and exclaiming the praises of how great God was. And they were amazed. And the point of this tongue is it's to be a sign to unbelievers that God is real. Like there's no way that you know that. There's no way that you know how to do that. There, there must be something supernatural coming on. You know that this still happens today. You know this happened a couple of months ago in Mundaluyong City Jail. For those of you that don't know, we have a, we have a, a church campus in the middle of Mundaluyong Correctional Institute for Women. We have over 1,000 women that had church this morning. A couple months ago, Pastor Chap was in there. One of our great team members was in, and, and he was walking around sort of the outside of the service, and, and Pastor Chap just began to speak and sing in tongues, and he was just beginning to sing in tongues and just went into what he does, and, and uh, you know, when we, when we speak in tongues, we don't understand what we're saying. I'll teach on that in a bit, but he's speaking in tongues, and, and all of a sudden, the sound lady hears what he's saying, and Pastor Chap didn't recognize it, but in fact, he was speaking in Bisayan, a language he's never learned, doesn't understand, and he was calling the name of another lady, the family name of another lady there. The sound lady who understands it heard him, looked at him, went and grabbed that other lady, brought her to him, and said, this is the woman that you were asking for. And he's like, I wasn't asking for anybody. I was just praying in tongues. She goes, no, no, no. This is the lady that you were asking for. You were calling her by her name and asking for her. And this lady broke down and began to cry as Pastor Chap prayed for her because she had in this moment, and I want to get it right. He could tell the story better. But in, in this moment, she said, I feel seen by God in that moment. Isn't that unbelievable? That, that just happened like two months. What was it? Two months ago, I think. It, it didn't, 
That's not a Bible story. That happened two months ago, about 10 minutes away in, in Mandaluyong jail. And so today, God gives this gift today, still today, as a sign for unbelievers. What a beautiful sign from God to give. And what a great encounter for that woman to have that day to know that God is real. Um, the second public gift of tongues is this. It's tongues given for the interpretation. So these are heavenly languages that are not found here on earth. And this is, and listen to me, because I'm going to, and you really need to teach you this. When we talk about tongues for interpretation, it's God speaking through his people to his people, but an interpretation has to be given. Now, I grew up old school church, right? We grew, I talked about this on Wednesday in our family. Now, I grew up old school church, old school church, Pentecostal. We used to have something down the front called the prophecy microphone, right? I can't believe we used to have it, but we had a prophecy microphone where anybody in the church could come down the front. Now, listen to me. Churches used to be a lot smaller, and you used to know everybody that was in the church. But still, there's still crazy people. Anyway, people would come down and they would give prophetic words or they would come down and they would deliver a message in tongues to the church. And then somebody else would stand up, come grab the microphone and give the interpretation. Uh, this is one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians. Um, this is what Paul was referring to when he asked, do we all speak in tongues? Let me read out the scripture for context. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, the apostles. Second are the prophets. Third are the teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? This is what Paul says. Of course not. He said, no, not everyone has the ability to deliver a message in tongues publicly that then must be interpreted publicly. Paul here is not speaking about your private gift. He's speaking about the public gift of tongues for public interpretation. And he's saying not everybody has that gift to operate in. So why is it that we don't all have this gift? Well, the answer is found a couple of chapters later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He writes this in verse 22. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So I'm going to cut this up so that you really get this, right? So here he's talking about the public tongues for a sign. He's saying, hey, it's a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. This is the public speaking in other earthly languages to really show unbelievers, hey, God is real. But then he goes on and says, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. Now, listen, if you didn't realize, and many people don't, that there's four different types of speaking in tongues, then you would think that Paul was contradicting himself there. Tongues, 
sign for an unbeliever, and then he says, unbelievers are going to think you're mad. He isn't contradicting himself at all. The first tongues was the tongues as a sign, speaking an earthly language that you've never been trained in as a sign to the unbeliever. The second tongues is the tongues that needs to be interpreted. It's a heavenly language. And Paul's saying this, if you just walk in and you hear me deliver a message where I stand in front of you and I speak, and I go into a, a full tongue and deliver this message, and there's no interpretation, there's no acknowledgement of it, people going to think you are crazy, which is true. That's why Paul writes, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul's giving us clear instruction for how we should do it in church. So does that mean that we should never speak in tongues in church unless someone is there to interpret it. Well, let me explain. I'll move on to my third point, which is this. It's tongues for personal prayer. I love, I love this one. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what should I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. You know what Paul's doing here? Paul is identifying that tongues is actually a prayer language. Just like your words of understanding are a language, your native tongue that you have, so is praying in the spirit. It is a language. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. For one who speaks in the tongues speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So remember, I'm teaching this, that when we have the public use of tongues, it's God speaking to a man or a woman to speak to his people. But Paul here is saying when it comes to the private gift of tongues, that it's man speaking directly to God. Paul is saying it's a personal prayer language of our spirits directly communicating with God. So this is even what I do on stage. Sometimes uh, when we're praying and we're, we're, we, we, we're doing stuff, I'll begin to pray in the Spirit, speak in tongues. Now, is that a public is that a public word of tongues that must be interpreted? No, it's just me praying to God, but I just so happen to have a microphone so you hear it. I'm not delivering it as a message from God to the people that's waiting for an interpretation. It's just me having my own prayer time with God, praying my spirit directly to his, and it's beautiful. You know what it says in the book of Jude, verse 20? It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when you pray in the Holy Spirit, when you speak in tongues, it actually begins to build you up. There's other translations that use this word edify. You edify yourself. When you speak in tongues, you begin to edify yourself because something supernaturally happens as your spirit begins to connect straight away with the Spirit of God. Who doesn't want that? Huh? Who doesn't want their spirit to connect instantly with the spirit of God? 
That's why I hate it when people say, no, 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 tongues is only for some people. Yes, the public gift of tongues is only for some people that God has decided to pour that gift out upon that person. But the private gift of tongues is available for every believer. This is something that I do every single day. And just like a language, the more you do it, the more it begins to grow. I've been in meetings where the power of God has hit me and I begin to speak in tongues and and I begin to speak in new tongues that I've never, ever spoken before. And I can't even begin to hear it as it's coming and the Holy Spirit comes on me and I begin to speak in new tongues. This is something that is for every single believer, just not the crazy ones. I'm not crazy. I'm crazy for Jesus, but I'm pretty normal. I'm not. I'm a little bit unnormal. This is for every person. The last type of tongues, it's a personal tongues again, but this tongues is for intercession. Romans chapter 8, 26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever had times where you felt like you need to pray, but you don't know what to pray for? You feel a stirring, you feel a urge, you feel a pressing to pray, but you're sitting there and you have no idea what to pray for. Paul literally writes, for we do not know to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes. This is where speaking in tongues for intercession, it allows you to pray in the Spirit, which can I just tell you is far more effective than us praying in our native language. Far more. Because we're praying, we're praying the things the Spirit wants us to pray. That's why if I've ever prayed for you on the front at the end of service, I'll always pray. I, I, I pray if I have a prophetic word or if I have a word of encouragement or if we're praying about something, I'll pray over you. But I'll always speak in tongues. Do you know why? Just in case I missed anything, I want to make sure that the Spirit of God, I'm praying to Him His will over your life. I'm making sure that the Holy Spirit is interceding on my behalf in that moment for you. Sometimes you don't know what you are praying for. Sometimes your your mind may not be able to handle what your spirit is praying for. There are sometimes I'm glad I don't know everything I'm praying for. Can I just put it to you that way? I don't know if I want to carry that much burden in my life. I'm happy for the Spirit of God to take over. I love what Joseph Prince says. He says that you cannot pray in tongues selfishly. If you pray what you can't understand, it will always fight against your selfishness. As I begin to speak and pray in tongues, ah. I may not understand in my mind what's happening, which means that I can't pray selfish prayers. I'm being led, being directed by God to pray in his spirit. Tongues can't be selfish. You cannot pray in the Holy Spirit except according to the will of God. Cannot pray your own will when you pray in the spirit. You can only pray God's will. And if you pray according to his will, the Bible tells us clearly that he will hear us and he will answer us. So what is God's heart 
on this. Are you ready? Are you okay? Everyone okay? What's God's heart on this? He makes it clear through Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5. And remember, when you read Corinthians, when you don't understand there's four different tongues, you think that Paul is contradicting himself. Because one time he's saying, ah, no, it's only for this person. And then he goes here and he says in verse 5, I wish you could all speak in tongues. That's God's heart. Paul is sharing us God's heart. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues. So people ask me, and I kind of mentioned it at the beginning, but I'll say it again just so everyone's clear. Can I be a Christian and not speak in tongues? Absolutely. It's okay. You can absolutely be a Christian and not speak in tongues. This is what Paul says, though, and he says something pretty powerful. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And then he goes on for the next couple of chapters and he begins speaking about all these gifts. And we get to the end of chapter 14, verse 38. And he says this, but if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So you know what Paul's saying is this. Paul's going, listen, I'm going to teach you about these gifts because I don't want you to be ignorant. But at the end, if you're still ignorant, you want to know what the physical picture of this verse is? If anyone's ignorant, let him be ignorant. Do you know what the physical picture is? Paul's like this. It's on you. If you're going to be ignorant to it, it's on you. Now, Paul's not getting angry because remember, this isn't a salvation issue. Like if this is a salvation issue, Paul, he gets, he gets heated. Just read his letters. You start talking about false teaching, about the gospel of Jesus. You start coming in, saying things like you gotta be circumcised in order to be saved. Man, Paul will get uppity, he gets angry, he gets at you. But here, Paul, he says, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant, so I'm gonna teach you. But at the end, if you're still ignorant about this, well, you'll still be a Christian, but I wash my hands. You, If you're ignorant, you're ignorant. Paul says, verse 39, he says this, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Do not forbid it. Do it. It's wonderful. It's great. So how does it mean to speak in tongues? Because again, so many people have so many different thoughts on this. If you've never been told, you've never been taught, if you've never been spoken to properly about this, you can think it's weird. And again, Sometimes people get weird with it. They do weird. Sometimes people shaking, falling on the ground, doing everything. And so you think, well, do I have to do it? Do I have to do it? Can I just tell you this? Like, so we call, in modern translations of the Bible, uh, we, we call him the Holy Spirit, right? Him because it's a person. Triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So we call him the Holy Spirit. But old school, come on, church kids, old school, we used to call him the Holy Ghost. Mm. Holy Ghost, right? And, and I love that. It just, I, I pray that all the time, the Holy Ghost. It comes out because it's, it's in the foundation of who I am. That's how I learn it. So he's the Holy Ghost. He's the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. But see, sometimes when we talk about speaking in tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes upon us. And because sometimes we use the Holy Ghost, we think wrongly that a ghost comes and tells and gets a hold of your tongue, right? And it's like, you start levitating off the ground. Some priest is throwing holy water at you, right? Like, it, 
When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in the Holy Spirit, can I tell you this? That even though it comes upon you, even though the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, nothing takes over your tongue and starts flapping your tongue. Right? Not, nothing happens. You still have to open your mouth. And here's the thing, ready? Here's the thing that people miss when it comes to the Holy Spirit because they come down the front and they go like this. And they just sit there. You know, in order to start speaking in tongues, it takes faith. Just like your salvation. Your salvation takes faith. I'm choosing to acknowledge that a Savior that I never physically saw really did walk the earth, died, and rose again. That takes faith. You can't sit there quietly when your salvation, you have to actually open your mouth and declare or your hands to our deaf community, your hands and declare, right? The resurrected Christ. And when it comes to speaking in tongues, if you stand there like this, God's not going to come and force you. Bang! Right? It's not going to happen. Do you know why? Because because God's a gentleman. I've found that over the years. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you actually begin. Now, you don't fake it. You don't fa- I'm not telling you to open your mouth and start faking. Please, hear me. Do not fake. But as you begin to, the, the way I describe it is that it's almost like there's this bubbling brook inside of you and this thing just begins to come up and, and as you come out, hold on. And, and, and these words just begin to come out and sometimes it starts in small phrases I, I can even I can remember as a child being filled with the Holy Spirit as a child and then I walked away from the Lord but I remember as a child we would speak in tongues as a family my parents are here we would speak in our family devotions we'd, they would be like alright it's time to speak in tongues now and um, and and I remember I, I would always say this phrase, I just remember this phrase, but then over the years, it's, and this phrase, the, the, why? Because the language grows. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not babbling. I, it, it's just this language begin to grow. And so it may, but here's the thing again with God, there's no rules. Some people might just open their mouth and everything comes out. Other people might start out small, but you know what it requires? It requires faith to believe that as I open my mouth, the gift is there. It's your faith that activates it. That's what it is. And that's why so many people miss out on the power of speaking in tongues is because they don't let their faith activate this gift. If you can believe that a giant man with six fingers and six toes called Goliath was real, if you can believe that a man called Samson killed thousands of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, if you can believe that a man held up a staff and the Red Sea split in two so three million people can walk, if you can believe that a savior spat in some mud and and, and washed it with a spit and, and healed 
healed people, if you could believe that a Savior died on a cross, and if you could believe that the apostles, who, who are the ones that saw the Savior, could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, my question is, why couldn't you believe that it could happen to you? Why couldn't you believe that it could happen to you? This is wonderful. And when we talk about our whole series on living on a prayer, right, has all been geared towards us going deeper in our prayer life with God. There is something wonderful about this. There, man, when you, when you get a hold of speaking in tongues, your intercessory prayer, your spiritual warfare will begin to go up. Our, fle- our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spirits, the principalities of this world. And so when you begin to speak in tongues, your spiritual warfare will begin to go to a new level. I have children now. I finally understand what my parents went through. I have children now, and I pray for them, and I don't always know what to pray for them, so I just begin to speak in tongues and let the Spirit intercede on my behalf. It's not crazy. It's not weird. We're not going to pressure anyone. I'm not going to come down the aisles and lay hands on you, un, you know, against your will. Do you want it? Do you, do you want it? Do you want it? Right? I'm not going to, not going to do that today. But, but this, this is what I am going to say. This is a free gift from God. And in order to receive uh, uh, the free gift from God, and some people have been prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they haven't spoken in tongues. I know some people that have prayed seven times. I know another guy that prayed 13 times, a pastor in Australia, prayed 13 times to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, altar calls, everything that happens. And it didn't happen. One day he had his lawnmower and he was mowing the lawn of his front yard. And he's like, God, I really desire this. You know, some people give up after once. Oh, well, it didn't work. It's not for me. No, it is come back a second time. Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, I don't know. Come back a third. He's, lo- he's mowing his lawn, his grass. At the front, he goes, God, I really desire this gift. Really desire it. I really want to begin. And in that moment, he felt the power of God hit him, and he begins speaking in tongues as he's mowing the front lawn. It, why does that happen? I don't, I don't know. I got to be honest with you. I don't know. But I could assume, I could assume it's this, is that It's a free gift from God, and he wants to give it, but he wants to give it to those who truly desire it. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever given a gift to someone, and they don't really care? How does that make you feel? You're like, here's this wonderful gift. This is my whole month's wage. I'm giving it to you. And they're like, eh. Do they have a larger size, right? Like, and you feel devastated that way. But have you ever given a gift to someone that is so excited to receive it? Like here, I just want to, oh, my God. <laughs> thank you, thank you, right? It's, it's a sense. So, so what posture should we have in coming to God for this gift? Can I tell you, it should be a posture of humility and saying, God, I want to receive. I want to receive. So this is what we're going to do. In a moment, we're all going to stand. We're going to worship for a little bit. And again, there's a couple of different types of people in this room, Right? There's people that have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You want to get baptized. And I don't even have time to tell you what baptism in the Holy Spirit will then unlock and unleash in your life as well. That's just power, boldness, spiritual gifts can come. That's a sermon for another day. But there's other people in this room, and I know this well because of the size of this room. There are other people in this room that maybe you used to speak in tongues, but you've allowed the gift to lie dormant. Life, different 
spiritual environment, something's happened. And today, God wants to reactivate it in you as well. But before we do that, I got to do this. Because you cannot speak in the Spirit unless the Spirit lives inside of you. And I got to give every person here the opportunity to uh, have a moment where you invite the Spirit of Jesus, His Holy Spirit, to come and live inside of you. It's pretty simple. The gospel is pretty simple. The good news, that's what the gospel means, the good news. And the good news is simply this. You and I, we're sinners. We are separated from God. Because of our actions, our thoughts, our outside of the way God would want us to live, it separates us from God. The Bible says we're all born as sinners. But Jesus came to this earth and he, he died on the cross and he paid the price of our sin. He took our sin upon himself. And he didn't just take our sin. It wasn't just this nice, fancy thing. It was a, it was a horrible death. We're going to talk about it next week. But he was proven through his resurrection. So him dying for our sins was proven because of his resurrection. He was raised to life after three days. And Paul writes, the same Paul that I've been quoting a lot, he writes in another book in the book of Romans chapter 10, he says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And as you do that, the Spirit of God will begin to come and live inside of you. You won't become perfect, not at all, but you will start your journey with Jesus. And so before even talk about speaking in tongues or baptizing. And you know what's cool? You can get saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit in the same day. There's no rules for that. You can get water baptized next week. You can do the whole, some of you can do the whole shebang in seven days. That's what the early church used to do. Why not? So can you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're watching online or if you're listening on podcasts, whatever it is, you do the same thing. If you're saying, James, that's me. I've never made that decision before to follow Jesus, to ask him to forgive me my sin. Or maybe you're here, you're watching, and you made this decision a long time ago, but you walked away. You have no active current relationship with God. I want to give you a chance to respond to him. If you're saying, James, that's me. Uh, I want to pray that prayer. Could you, on the count of three, just lift your hands nice and high, because I want to pray for you. One, two, three, right now, all over this room. If you're saying that, yep, I see your hand over there. Thank you. I see your hand in the middle here. Thank you, Jesus. I see your two hands right here. Thank you, Lord. I see your hand, young man, in the front there too. Thank you, Jesus. If you lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now if you lifted your hand. And we're going to pray a simple prayer, reflecting what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10. But we're all going to pray it together. So come on, say it with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask you to forgive my sin. I believe that you died on the cross, but you defeated death and you rose victoriously. Right now I ask, please come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.